Welcome to the drdavidmarlin.com Stable Science Podcast. I'm Dr. David Marlin, and along with a great team of experts, I'm helping horse owners and riders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. In these podcasts, we will discuss science-led research, technology, information, and advice to help you care for your horses so they may live healthier, happier, and longer lives. To support the podcast and all our research and science for horses, go to our website, www.drdavidmarlin.com, and to learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there. Um, well, one of the things that we've noticed over the years that we've been running our community is that we get a lot of questions about behavior and as you'll know um i don't really claim to be any sort of an expert in equine behavior um but fortunately i've been introduced uh through a mutual friend to someone who is an expert in equine behavior and so this, uh well, this evening for me uh this morning for john i'm here uh talking to john moore uh who is an equine behavioral specialist who's based in the usa very well known in the USA uh, and strangely enough Scandinavia um so um John welcome it's really nice to to meet you great to be here thank you for having me so well I, I guess the place to start is really to to ask about your sort of background and and how you got into equine behavior and sort of what you do now yeah I I grew up with horses with livestock my whole life and uh i was and i've also you and i talked earlier david about i was also i had a musical career and um i studied and pursued all my equine education did all my my things for my own for my own interest to know and i never really thought about teaching it much until i got uh i was playing music in stockholm sweden one time and um 
I was asked, believe it or not, from someone who was there at that thing, if I could come down and talk to the writing club about equine behavior with a couple of stallions that were misbehaving and nobody knew what to do with them. And strangely, that one little event there spawned uh, a 35-year career in, in teaching the things. And I've just continued to try to educate myself and partner with uh, knowledgeable people in areas that were... Um, having to do with nutrition, shoeing, um, so a lot of equine research that I've had access through through Texas A&M University. In the U.S., it's one of the top uh, uh, universities that uh, I guess would say is, is a lot of leading studies and things like that. And, and I've partnered with uh, their head of the equine science department on different things. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I never set out to teach it publicly, but I happily embraced it because horses are a love of my life and uh, you know I I cannot just treat a horse like a machine and make him do things because I said so um, working with the mind and the body of that horse and working toward that partnership to get optimum results has always been something that I've just fed on I love that I've never been able to be a person who just made him perform for me um, through pain, through discomfort, through misunderstandings, through fear, through all of those things that, uh, that you commonly see. So, you know, what you do dovetails and your mindset, you and I have talked dovetails very well into my outlook on the whole approach to dealing with equines. Okay. And, and what, in terms of the sort of horses and people you deal with, what, what would be the sort of range or is there a typical sort of owner uh, or could it be an olympic rider or a racehorse or a, a, just a pleasure rider you know in 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 my work it's it's the whole spectrum um i i deal i have a place sometimes that is always referring racehorses to me that are having behavioral issues about loading in the gates or bucking the jockey off or not being manageable i deal with that i deal with sometimes just backyard hobby horse people um i've coached olympic riders um, specifically in sweden on on issues that they're having uh, a lot of times i'm the guy that their coach will seek out they'll be working on something where they're plateaued on trying to deal with a problem and they'll bring me in to work past that to get around it and a lot of this kind of work as you know is is thinking a little bit outside of the box mm -hmm. and and having a knowledge of how a horse actually goes about learning and what is how is he viewing this situation and if i don't understand how he looks at it there's no expression um you know cause the horses your idea to become the horse's idea but understand his idea first and so i get brought in for, uh, for that situation where uh, where i live in the u.s uh, i also deal with barrel racers and and ropers as well so the whole gamut of stuff but but the link that ties it all together is uh, the horse is a horse and they're they're like dogs they're specialized breeding for for what the purpose is a guard dog a herding dog you know a hunting dog or something horses are the same way but they still they're still horses they're still dogs so there's that commonality that that uh, <laughs> i cover all of those uh, different different disciplines and, and issues yeah. right whether it's a dressage horse or an event or a show jumper or a racehorse endurance horse 
does it, pleasure horse, as you say, hobby horse. Um, yeah, exactly. And dressage, you mentioned dressage. It's interesting because I was, I live in Colorado now, but I, I was born in California and spent my, my young early life up to my early twenties there. And, uh, it is very strongly linked to Spanish. The Spanish settled the Western part of the United States, the West Coast. The, the British and all the different colonists from the Western European countries colonized under the British sovereignty, uh, colonized the Eastern. So the writing is reflected there, what was brought there. The Spanish brought writing to the West Coast that is much more akin to modern day dressage than East Coast writing in America. And, uh, in, you know, sometime that, that makes a good discussion of the history of how all that came about. But I found that I have much more in common with dressage writers growing up in the Spanish tradition than a lot of people that have grown up in the Eastern U.S. tradition, which is, gosh, I wouldn't even know how to describe it. What, what, for lack of a better term, a lot of people call normal writing, whatever, whatever normal is. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, yeah, dressage, I, I have an admiration for that. It's very akin to the way we, we taught horses in the Spanish tradition in the West to, to do everything from work on ranches to, to dressage. That's, uh, so that, that must be every day, every is a new challenge because yeah, I guess you're working with different owners, different mm. riders, uh, different environments. And, you know, I mean, behavior is so for me uh you know it's easy for to, to address some of the things to do perhaps with nutrition with fitness uh with tack competition strategy but you know if you've got behavioral uh, let's say challenging behavior i know there's sort of now discussion about because we don't say really any more naughty horses or bad horses you know we, the horses have behaviors that are not conducive to what we want to do with them so that can be in a competition environment you know if the horse isn't uh, isn't settled won't settle uh, you know that can make it difficult to achieve what you're trying to achieve performance wise even actually interestingly from some survey work we've done recently people are more likely to fall off schooling at home than they are actually in a competition environment uh, you know <laughs> of uh horses one of the common one is just the horse jumping sideways now oh yes why does a horse why does a horse suddenly jump sideways mm -hmm. there's you yeah know, that's a behavior and that's a behavior that could end up with you in hospital um, uh, yeah yeah absolutely and uh you know when when we get into those types of uh behavior well i'll tell you what sometimes uh the thread that runs through so many of these behaviors is uh, much more of a common thread than a lot of people realize. Um, you know, we, there's a term, a conditioned response. Um, and it, that's a term, there's slightly different variations of it, but most people in the science community, uh, it's something similar to that, the term conditioned response. And, uh, and I don't think people realize the power of that and how many of those their animal actually has and that we have and you know something happens you know a horse is this, this animal that is just reacting to his environment and we got to remember that we're part of that environment and we're this huge influence in his environment 
And so we take all of our issues and all of our baggage and all of mm -hmm. what a bad day we had today or the argument we just had with our spouse or whatever out into the arena. We carry that with us and we put out this vibe even yeah. when we think we're not. We, so we're part of his environment. He's reacting to that. And how he reacts to that is the response. If he repeats that response over and over, we call that conditioning that response. He's strengthening it. And you have, uh, I guess, a fancy name for habit. He has a conditioned response. And that can be anything we want it to be. So we have to be careful what we allow to become a conditioned response. You know, uh, a well-behaved, what we would call a quote-unquote well-behaved horse in the arena is responding to his cues. Those are all conditioned responses. But we also have to think more broadly how he how he views the show environment. He has a conditioned response to that. How he looks at that trailer over there, he has a conditioned response to that. When he sees you coming uh, to get him out of his paddock, he has a conditioned response to that. Everything. And one of the conditioned responses that can lead to issues that people don't understand is he can have a conditioned response of whether or not to engage mentally with you and focus or disconnect and go to la-la land. And when he goes to la-la land, you get all these things that we call irrational. It doesn't make sense to us. But you got to look at if he's, if he's disconnected and he's not focused, he's just like we are. He's unteachable. You know, you have to be paying attention. You have to be focused. But if he goes his brain goes to la la land and he's over there you get what i call recreational spooking you don't see any reason why he should have jumped he didn't jump yesterday but we have to understand he didn't jump because he was scared of something he be he jumped because of his mindset and and you have to be careful that he doesn't develop a conditioned response to go to that mindset in that environment at that place in that time with that person that piece of equipment you know the list goes on so when we get into uh, solving those sorts of issues like trailer loading or spooking or a horse that won't stand still when you saddle him, you're really talking about changing the trigger that, that leads to the conditioned response. And so I never want to get on a horse who is not thinking about me, who is not here with me and now. And sometimes it takes, it, it, you have to have a session getting that new response started before you really can just get on his back and start training it's amazing how much faster training goes with a horse who's thinking about you and focused with you and in harmony with you than one who would rather be somewhere else and he's thinking about something else and you're trying to get him to think about this you know it's <laughs> a lot slower progress that way you know i i don't know it, it, those are just some thoughts on on that yeah i may make makes a lot of sense to me um i mean behavior has kind of in some ways, I would say, become pretty polarized. At one end, you've got what I would call entertainment behavior. And then at the other end, you've got the scientists doing pure you know, research into behavior. And I, I'm guessing you're sitting more towards the science end of the, the spectrum, but you're applying that practically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, regardless of what all of our impressions are, what we think about things, underneath it all is the truth. <laughs> you know, there's there's reality. And, uh, you know, sometimes people like their their reality to be warped a little bit to make it entertaining or to fit their their quirks or their idiosyncrasies and things like that. But, you know, for me, science is um, it's 
it's something that is a, a continuing study that explains things that we outwardly see. You know, we see a behavior and a human, it seems to me, the first thing the human does is try to explain that behavior away from the point of view of how they would react if they were the horse. And they forget that the horse's brain, they, or they have never learned that the horse brain and the human brain are very, very, they're wired very differently. It's strong points that a human has in their, in their brain are weak points with the horse. Um, an example of that would be uh, people can relate to riding a horse along down the road and, and he's feeling kind of good today and he's looking all around and they're a little nervous because he's a little nervous and the wind's blowing, it's a little cool and, and all of a sudden he goes, ah, and he jumps sideways, you know, and they fall off or they barely hang on or whatever and there's a garbage can over there. Well, he's been walking by garbage cans his whole life, but he only is scared of them on Thursdays, Saturdays, but not the other days and they can't understand so they're trying to struggle to explain this behavior and um they they really are not um i gotta explain it this way understanding that, that that the garbage can is not the issue it's it's his focus on them is is really what that situation is about and uh, they they when that horse spooks at that garbage can he goes through a series of of re, of reactions to it you know he's he's claustrophobic he's cowardice he's a flight animal he's a herd bound animal he loves to panic and so what he'll do he'll combine all of those things he sees it uh i'm too close to it there's my claustrophobia i'm going to panic i'm not going to rationally sort this out and figure out whether i need to run or not i'm just going to run he's going to panic there and here comes flight he runs home he goes home because he's herd bound that's where his buddies are and we're just along for the ride. So, you know, all of those things come together. I think everybody's ever ridden a horse uh, can, can relate to that story in one form or another. And if we don't understand that in nature, that horse is a, is a prey animal, he's designed to, to react that way to that situation. And the only way we get him to react differently is to condition him, going back to the conditioned response, to condition him that things in his environment that instinctively he's supposed to be afraid of, he doesn't need to be afraid of, and he can relax and go on. And until we understand that that's his point of view on this thing, we'll continue to try to treat the symptom and not get to the root of the behavior. Um, I, I don't know if, 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 if this is making sense, as I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm interested in you, you look at the, the horse and the, the, the rider, and you, you can see what the problem is, how much of that is then you having to work with the horse and rider and how much of it typically can they take away with instructions and do themselves? Or does it sort of vary according to the problem? It's, it, it can be, and usually is massively successful. It, but it does require people to do something that the horse is the most magical and wonderful animal in the world at bringing this out in us it causes us to to examine ourselves we can't be an island if we if it, if the if we're talking about a car or a motorcycle or a bicycle it's an inanimate object has no emotion um it's not reacting to us on its own a horse you're interacting with another living being and it's responding to you and the most success that people have is when they begin to, uh, in, you know, 
most people do realize this, but sometimes it runs much deeper than they think. If I'm looking at somebody who's riding a horse and he's uncomfortable and he's, you know, working his mouth and, and jigging up and down and salivating and unhappy, he's reacting to something. Um, we, we can try to get him to not act that way. People change bits, they change reins, they change stirrups, they change saddles. Um, I have to look at that from a behavior standpoint and say, why is he doing this? Oh, he's reacting to this person. So he has a conditioned response to that particular rider. Even though I, we're ultimately there to fix the horse, I actually first have to talk to the rider and get them to understand that the horse is reacting to something that they may not be aware that they're doing. And, um, you know, uh, you know, at first, and I should back up a little bit. Um, this is where our, our two fields, you and I, um, intersect. When I see a bad behavior, I really do have to go down to a checklist and say, um, can I just explain this away as a bad condition response? Or, you know, we might very well have something else going on simultaneously. He could have gut issues. He could have um, foot problems, foot and leg problems, muscle issues, saddle fit issues, bits. Um, he could have wolf teeth. He could, all of these things have to be explored through. And uh, so working as a team like this um, is, I think, really the way to do it. And I need to have a base of knowledge in these different fields, but I'm not an expert in your field. And so I need to refer over and say, hey, I got to get a hold of, of David and, and tell him what I'm dealing with here. Um, but I don't know. I may be rambling here. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no, no. Actually, you've answered my next question, which was going to oh, be okay. how much of managing equine behavior involves managing human behavior. And I think you've kind of, that's very nicely, you've answered it before I've even asked you it. And oh, okay. Well, I'm kind of, you know, I, I teach for a living. Sometimes I just kind of go, but, you know, um, Sometimes this helps people to understand, um, especially those of us that are competing, you know, working on, on a very high level. Um, sometimes if we stop and, and realize that what we're really looking for is, a, is a, a physically fit horse, but also a mentally fit horse. And it's really hard to attain maximum success if one of those is not mm -hmm up equal with the other and sometimes it's you know we can we can go through and get a horse physically uh fit um we do all but we also need to know how to get a mentally fit so um I, I sometimes use a diagram that we're looking for energy relaxation and balance and balance is a multifaceted term there i need his energy but we all know horses uh people who are listening probably have dealt with this or know somebody who has who's just all energy and you're you're always holding him back and and he's just a go machine and he he's the gas pedals full throttle all the time a high energy horse doesn't know how to relax uh -huh. and then other people know the horse that he's just kind of moving along at the speed of a glacier and you can't get him to do anything and so is people there, like that as well <laughs> yeah people dogs it's it, it's a it's a universal thing in life and we're looking for balance between energy and relaxation. And the thing about balance that's multifaceted, if I can get his energy and his relaxation in balance with one another, I can then get him physically imbalanced where he's not heavy on his front end or you know, I'm trying to balance his weight over four feet and collect him. If he's out of balance, if he's mentally trying to be somewhere else and I'm having to hold him back, it's gonna tip his weight to the forehand. 
he's now physically out of balance because he's mentally out of balance. Mm -hmm. And if I don't address the mental part of that, then I'm physically trying to pull him back into physical balance. But all I'm really doing is triggering another term that we call opposition reflex, which is if I pull on him, he's going to push back against it. We all do that. If I walk up to you or, or somebody and I, and I put my hand on their shoulder and I push them, they're probably not going to just let me push them and have them fall down. They're going to brace and resist. It's a survival thing. Horses do it with their mouths, their legs, their, their ribs, shoulders, hips, their whole body. They resist. So in the process of teaching a horse um, what we call the aids, he has to learn these series of yields. And so by throwing him, um, by trying to deal with his physical imbalance by correcting it strictly physically, I end up triggering opposition reflex and throw him physically out of balance even more. So at some point, I've got to get inside his head and get this high energy horse to relax. And I got to get this low energy horse to wake up. <laughs> you know, breed has something to do with that. I mean, I can't just say they're, they're all the same. There are calm breeds, there are high strung breeds. But we can use athletes, human athletes as, a, as an example. You could look at, um, you know, someone who's a Tour de France cyclist and they're putting everything they've got into it. And then when they, when they get to the end of the race, they just coast along on their bike and look around mm. or a hockey player. He's out there giving it his all. When he goes to the bench, he sits down. He doesn't go to the bench and prance around. Mm. He goes to the bench and sits down. He's mentally applies that energy when he needs it, he turns it off when he doesn't. So teaching a horse to do that is, is that mental balance that we're looking for between his energy and his relaxation so that, well, it, it's just kind of obvious at that point, he becomes something then we can talk to, we can relate to that horse. He's teachable at that point. Um, I don't know, did I? <laughs> I no, no, it makes a lot of sense. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I mean, we sort of touched there on uh, something interesting. I would always say if you gave me the choice of working with ponies or horses, I'd always rather work with horses. Do you, do you feel there's any difference between ponies and horses? Do you think ponies have a little bit more of an attitude or um, <laughs> more challenging behaviors or is it yeah, how um, you treat them? I, I, my honest answer to that is I, um, I approach them all. I, I, and I have, I have tried to come to this point in my life where, where 
I, I try not to come in with an attitude of having a bias one way or the other, mm-hmm. even though, yes, I, I agree with what you say. We see patterns and we go, well, we gotta, we can't ignore, there's a pattern here. Scientifically, it means something, but I have to go back and say, uh, if, if ponies have a reputation for, you know, a lot of them were that I've seen, sometimes you have ponies that are going to go, oh, he's a pony, you know, and he's, he's going to be an ornery little thing. And, and I go, okay, well, how much of that is genetic and how much of that is environment? Um, right. Ponies, a lot of times where I live, are ridden by kids and inexperienced people because they're small. They got a small person, they get a small horse. And a bad habit in a pony um, just isn't quite as big and explosive as the same habit in a, in a much, much larger horse. And uh, I think a lot of ponies tend to get a little bit spoiled. Um, having And then always... This is another part that enters into it. When we are looking at, at breeds of horses um, from a behavioral side, um, one way that I like to explain it is aggression and fear. Um, the, the, and they're independent in the brain. If you think of them this way as independent, a horse can have fear. And it's a, it's a necessary factor in that just a little bit of that makes him sensitive. It makes him move away from pressure. Um, if you have too much of it, then you have a fearful horse that's flighty and that's not manageable, but you need that sensitivity. And we that's over in the category of fear. Over on the category of aggression, it's, I, I don't wanna make people think that I mean aggression like an aggressive horse. If you have too much of it, it becomes an aggressive horse, but a little of it is what we call confidence. So you have to have a balance between fear and aggression to create sensitivity as well as confidence. And you could take those two things and move them up and down. You can have a horse that's very, very uh, sensitive to the point that he's scared of his own shadow and he has no confidence. He's pretty much untrainable, really. You can go the other way where he's very, very confident and he's not very, very sensitive. Okay, spoil that horse and then try to convince him that he needs to change his ways. He's not very sensitive. There's not much you can do to him that makes him want to do anything any different. And he's not afraid of much because he's very confident. That's kind of an untrainable situation. So in our, our breeding of, you know, through the centuries and, and millennia, we've, we've kept balances in there in different breeds of horses for different purposes. Draft horses, a, a lot of them that I deal with are, are amazing in that they, a lot of them have a lot of confidence, but a lot of sensitivity. They're not so hard to get them to get used to pulling a wagon or a log behind them. And yet they're very sensitive that way. And you have to take all that into account when you train them. And people can accidentally create a situation of of confidence and sensitivity by not paying attention to how they breed. If you, you know, you know the term single trait breeding, if you're breeding strictly say for color, and you don't take into account that we don't know what all these genes do. <laughs> the same gene that controls eye color might control a behavioral thing or liver function or something. We can create accidentally by trying to create a certain trait in an animal, a very aggressive animal or a very cowardly animal. And so you end up with different breeds that sort of fall into different behavioral categories. You can, you can classify them that way. And sometimes a lot of little ponies are very confident little boogers. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're not. Sometimes they're just uh, little cowards. But yeah, so I approach them all and, and say, 
what have I got here? Do I have a real sensitive pony or do I have an aggressive pony? But right. now comes the environmental thing, regardless of whether he's aggressive or cowardly. If he's been getting away with stuff, <laughs> a lot of ponies tend to get away strictly by environment. Um, and I can't speak for everywhere. I can't speak for the UK, but at least here, they get away with stuff. And the ones that tend to be highly, highly confident uh, ponies, yeah, they're, you know, they take a little bit of convincing sometimes to get them to turn around and change their ways. It just requires that the human be very consistent, set boundaries and hold those boundaries and teach that horse to live just like you would in, in a herd, live within those boundaries. Um, that was, it's kind of a long explanation, but some of these things are, are hard to explain unless you do give a little bit of background. And, well, a lot of know, it makes sense. I mean, you, you know, you're talking about boundaries and consistency. That's how we would apply bringing up children. If, yeah, if you don't, if you're inconsistent and you don't have boundaries, you're going to have children who kind of run all over you and and are going to be very difficult to. Um, to <laughs> they're going to find life hard if they don't have those those boundaries and consistency. Um, because kids feel safe, don't they, when they have bound yeah. and consistent response? Absolutely. And horses, uh, my gosh, that's that's enormous, as, as you're alluding to. This is an animal that's natural environment is in a herd. The, that, that herd, is by definition, is an organization with boundaries yeah. and, a, and a social hierarchy in that. He feels the safest when he recognizes where those boundaries are when he grows up and he's feeling and testing where the boundaries are and he can't find them and his behavior is allowed to just run rampant or, or do what he wants you're you might think he's a very dominant horse but he's probably a very very insecure horse mm. he can't find anybody in charge i'll give you an example um and i think a lot of people could probably relate to this i'll be doing a demonstration somewhere and someone will bring in uh I don't know, a, a jumping horse, a dressage horse, or, or whatever. It could be any breed. And he's, they bring him in, and he's just all over the place. He's running all around me. You can't get him to stand still. He'll run over you. He'll, he's just looking around. And I'll be talking to an audience of 300 people sitting there. And I've got this horse. And the first thing I'll usually say to him is, this horse feels completely alone in here. And at first, people will go, what? There's 300 of us here and his owner is standing right over there. And my question then, and this one kind of hits hard, why does he feel so insecure in the presence of his owner? Why does he feel so unsafe in here? And so I'll do a few um, behavioral modification things that I do, you know, move him around, do some things, yield certain parts of his body around to, and I could show you what that looks like at some point down the line. And boom, in five minutes or in three minutes, most of the time with a real high strung sensitive horse, man, he's locked onto me and he goes, ah, I finally found the person in charge. Right. I finally found the guy who I can hook onto and feel safe with. And boom. And when I'm doing demonstrations to, um, you know, let people know kind of what we're doing, that kind of horse, um, people relate to that right away because it's so obvious he needs something and we're not giving it to him and when he's when he sees that and he sees that security and he can feel safe with you you find out you got you have an animal that's even more magnificent than you ever thought you had 
You know, I, I really believe that. We look at their physical appearance and their eyes and the way they prance around and we go, it's magnificent. And I agree. But wouldn't it be even more magnificent if he thought I was the coolest thing and, and he wanted to be in my herd and not run back to all his buddies? That's where we want to get. <laughs> well, um, I just wanted to finish up with one question for you, uh, which is what are the most sort of common types of problems that you see, behavior problems? Can you, are there things that occur more often than, than others? You know, when I first started um, teaching these seminars, we call them clinics. Um, uh, the, probably the most common thing was at the end of the seminar, people couldn't load their horse in the trailer and go home. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, this is 30 years ago, and worldwide, um, the, the base of knowledge and skills has improved. I see this a lot less and less, but that was... It got to where we would do a three-day seminar on, say, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I would start Saturday morning going, who's not going to be able to go home Sunday night? <laughs> <laughs> and then, because you don't deal with the problem by waiting until you need it, till you need the horse to, to have that skill. Um, I don't want to approach trailer loading with a horse if I can help it. Uh, oftentimes, I have to, but I don't want to approach it when I need him to go. When I'm when I'm I've got to be at the vets in 20 minutes and now he won't go in the trailer. I need to start on that. Well, ideally start way back in the beginning of his life, but at least earlier in the day or you know at the beginning of a seminar and start teaching that horse the skills and the humans the skills to have the horse follow their suggestion to go where they ask him to go and overcome all of his preconditioned uh, responses. Um, you know. The most common that that's one of them. Another one would be you know standing still, just to get on him, um, and then a little bit higher level. Um, a big thing I think is rigidity in the body, resistance mm -hmm. through the through the horse's body. Um, when you get past the, the more basic things of will he load in the trailer, will he stand still? I get on him. Can I sit him? Can I pick up his feet? You see a lot of that, but on a different level. When you're teaching in a higher level and you're working you know each of these parts of his body you need to be able to control and talk to individually and when you find resistance in there um uh, when i get on a well-behaved horse but i get on him and i and i ride him and right right immediately i'll go now i know why you're having trouble picking up this lead or now i know why you're having trouble getting the haunches in because there's resistance there that sometimes takes the person who's who's the student who's watching this they need to have a little bit of base of knowledge on how horses learn and uh so it's it all still comes back to um the same things horses we have to look at how horses learn i i i know i'm i'm this is probably a little bit lengthier answer than you were looking for but i divide a horse's body up into sections and, and, and it's my alphabet i need him to be soft in his nose I need him to be able to move his head laterally, his neck and head laterally. I'm working my way toward the rear. I need him to be able to move his shoulders laterally, his ribs laterally, his hips laterally. I need him to go forward without having to beg him, and I need him to back up without having to beg him. And if I've got those basic letters of the alphabet, everything else then is how I put them in combination. So and I tell people there's 26 letters in the English alphabet. The same 26 letters, I can write a child's nursery rhyme, or I can write a Charles Dickens novel. I can write an instruction book for a computer. 
I can write a complex thought or a simple thought. And all I'm doing is grouping those 26 letters. And I can group those letters, those divisions that I just laid out. Those, um, you know, a head position with a shoulder position, with a hip position, with a rib position. And if I'm working with a horse, um, and then this is probably the most common thing is resistance in the body. And I ride him and I realize, okay, they're having trouble with, uh, with him, having him turn around correctly on sound. They want him to pivot on an inside hind foot and, and walk through that. I have to find which one of those things the resistance is in. Where is he resistant in that? And so I've got to work through that with forward motion and get the resistance out of his body. And then I can, and I explain that as I'm going along to the, to the student. And uh, a lot of horses will move a part of their body when they're standing still, but as soon as their feet start moving, boom, stiffness comes in. Why does stiffness come in? Because a lot of times people ride a little bit heavy handed. And as they're riding him forward, and as soon as they pick up those reins, what is his conditioned response when you pick up those reins? Does he relax or does he tense up and brace against that? Right. You know, so you can get him to move his haunches around when he's standing still, but when you walk him, suddenly he's stiff. Okay, I've got to backtrack that back to the human's hands. Now, that gets a little, it's, it's interesting, it's fascinating to me, but it does take dedication on the part of the human because you have to think about what you're telling him. With these horse, if you're if the pressure on his mouth and your hands is white noise to him, that means you have to speak pretty loudly before he even starts listening to you. So sometimes we got to do a reset and get this horse to realize, hey, I need to be able to whisper to you. I want to talk with you. I don't want to yell at you. So I've got to reset what he pays attention to. And I'm dealing with a lot of conditioned responses at that point, because if a person is heavy with their legs, heavy with their hands, not good with their balance. That horse is reacting to that. He's going to have a lot of braces in his body. That's probably the most common one, but it's sometimes not the most obvious one. <laughs> oh, interesting. Well, look, I, they, they, there's so much there. Um, and I think there's, well, I know there's a lot of stuff that uh, our members would be interested to hear your take on. So um, I'm hoping we can get you to maybe do some webinars maybe write a few articles maybe sure. even come and do some uh joint clinics together over mm. here uh that oh, yeah. could be quite interesting i think to um you know the, the the combined sort of what i do and what you do i think would be quite fun <laughs> oh I, I would enjoy that and, and you know that's where that's where the the final coming together in learning takes place is we you know we talk about these things and and you and i and, and people who are listening or watching this are uh, are relating to our experiences but boy it's you go home and you try it and you go wait a minute this didn't look like this didn't work like it did in the video yeah. so getting together like that and seeing all of these principles apply to a specific situation i would look forward to that very much yeah brilliant well look thanks ever so much john been great talking to you Thank you, David. This, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the Stable Science series. If you want to learn more about this topic and our work, head over to the drdavidmarlin.com website. Our website and community of members discuss a wide breadth of topics and the website houses thousands of articles, webinars, videos and research, all designed to help horse owners, riders, trainers and breeders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. The drdavidmarlin.com site is an independent information resource for all equestrians, a source of unbiased, science-based research. To learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.